Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is September 26th. We're going to talk about the Detroit Lions and Green Bay Packers rivalry, why the Lions are still a little brother, and when will they graduate from that status. We'll get into the Packer-Lion rivalry. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers' potential playoff opponents. Oh, before that, Packers lessons learned from the Saints game. Uh, we'll do our normal Tuesday show on that. And then we're going to talk about the potential playoff matchups for the Milwaukee Brewers. What excites us? What scares us about playing some of these teams? And then the Milwaukee Bucks are apparently in on Dame Lillard. We'll kind of talk about the Dame Lillard trade, all the stuff that's swirling around there. And that'll be today's show. Uh, but before we get going, just a reminder to follow us along on social media. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, if you're already following us on the socials, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google, wherever else you get your podcasts, we are there. Uh, if for some reason we're not, please let me know. Uh, I'm available on the socials. DMs are open. Uh, and if you already are subscribed, you know what to do. Drop this in the group chat. Uh, I, I think the Packers-Lions rivalry is a great discussion. I'm happy to have it. I know it's a little spicy, um, and that's that's what gets people going. So let's talk Packers-Lions rivalry and why Lions are always little brother. The Detroit Lions come into Green Bay 3-1. It is a big matchup on Amazon Prime. It's exactly what Prime wants for a Thursday game. Uh, they, they don't always get these, right? Next week, I believe, is the Bears and Commanders. So this is a treat, right? Uh, next week is a shit sandwich. And getting... Uh, Packers Lions both at three and one or two and one, excuse me. Uh, it is a great sort of thing for the Thursday night and sets the scene. I think that a part of me wants this game to be on a Sunday or a Monday so that everybody's fully rested, that everybody's fully healthy. I do think that the Packers held out guys on Sunday because they wanted guys to go on Thursday. I think the Lions did the exact same thing with a guy like David Montgomery who talked about how meaningful it would be to beat the Packers because he's never beat the Green Bay Packers as being a member of the Chicago Bears previously. And the Lions-Packers rivalry has a lot of that. The Lions are always trying to punch up to the Packers. That's why the Lions beating the Green Bay Packers last year to knock the Green Bay out of the playoffs was so meaningful to Detroit because of this little brother mentality that I think Packer fans carry about the Detroit Lions. And while it's probably frustrating as a Lions fan, I'm sure it's annoying, right? There is a Detroit first everybody sort of vibe to that city and to that, that culture, right? It, it's true. There, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. It's absolutely true. It, it, it just, anytime it seems like the Lions are going to take the rivalry by the horns, they fall flat on their face. The Lions have won five out of the last five, or it's five, they're five and three since 2017. But if we extrapolate that out to the following year, it's actually five and five. So it's 2016, the Packers swept that series. Every time it seems like the Lions are going to take advantage, or it's seven and seven, pardon me. Like what's, what are the years there? How are you arguing that seven and seven? But it, the, the point is, is that the Lions have never really been able to grab this rivalry by the horns. And yes, there is that opportunity, but I, I still think that it's going to take a long time for the Packers to 
see the Lions as equals, at least from a fan perspective. I think from a player perspective, it's entirely different. But I think if we're just talking macro about the rivalry and how everybody sees it, I still think, well, it's the Lions, right? They have that negative connotation about them. And I know that they're trying to shed that. I know that they're trying to make people believe that this is a different Lions team. This is a different Lions mentality. But we've just seen it years and years of data to know that the Lions are somehow going to kind of lie in themselves. It goes back to, if you think about Clemson, right? And I know Clemson's struggling, but forever there was Clemsoning. And Clemsoning was basically just falling apart at the end. And it's like, oh, we have a Clemsoning. And then once they got really good with Deshaun Watson, then with Trevor Lawrence, we basically had to retire Clemsoning because they were so good as a, a football team that they basically were able to graduate themselves out of it. And I think about the Packer-Lion rivalry and it will take multiple years. It will take Lions winning division titles. It will take maybe the Lions even beating the Packers in the playoffs for me not to consider them little brother because that's what it takes. You look at the rivalries between the three divisional opponents. The Green Bay Packers are 107 and 75, not including ties against the Detroit Lions. That is a 105 and 75. They've won 30 more times than the Detroit Lions, okay? For reference, Packers Vikings, 65 and 57. Even the Chicago Bears, who the Packers have owned through the last 20 years, 106 and 95. So you can't tell me that there isn't a difference and a valley between these two teams. Now, has it tightened up in the last few years? Absolutely. And it, it has changed and things are different in this rivalry. And some of that is attributed to Dan Campbell and what Dan Campbell has done. I'd also point out that one of those Lions wins in the last couple of years, the Packers had already packed it in and a young Jordan Love was that quarterback in Detroit in his last game and probably was a, a baby fawn at that point and wasn't exactly ready to, uh, to quarterback the Green Bay Packers, but still Love was in there. So that's all worth pointing out, right? When you look at sort of the Packers-Lions rivalry that there are some weird games in there that are contextual in nature. I just, it's not that I don't take the Lions seriously. I do. I think the Lions are a very good football team. They have a lot of guys there that can make plays that, you know, Brian Branch, Sam Laporta, they, they've looked like they might've hit their draft. I think if Brian Branch has a great game against the Packers, there is going to be a lot of freak out in the streets, given the fact that Green Bay has struggled so much at the safety position. And that has been, I know Donald Savage is playing well, but it's just more of the, again, the macro, the larger picture that they could have probably had Brian Branch and they decided to get, you know, Luke Van Ness and Jane Reed. Although I, I, will, I think Jane Reed was drafted after Brian Branch, but besides the point, like I, I think I, I think Luke Van Ness a 13th pick versus a 40 pick, but you know how fans go, right? You know how fans get where they're like, well, we could add this guy who was a potential first rounder and was passed up on. We'll have to see though. I, I'm very curious to see how the Lions kind of get off the mat here. And when I mean get off the mat is they, this is their moment, right? This, there's a, more pressure on the Detroit Lions than there is the Green Bay Packers in this game. Because if the Lions win this game and they're three and one and they take control of the NFC North, 
It, it, the Lions hype will be out of control. It'll be our Lions the third best team in the NFC. That will be probably the discussion, right? It's, it's the Eagles, 49ers, and the Lions, especially after what happened with the Cowboys last, last week against Arizona. That will be the Friday reaction that everybody is starting to gas up this Lions team. The only thing that happens to the Green Bay Packers if they win this football game is that everybody starts anointing Jordan Love, likely. And so, and that's the, that's what I, I wonder. I also wonder, you know, they, they had Mahomes week one, but Mahomes had no receivers. And that was a weird game in general. Travis Kelsey wasn't there. And then the next two weeks, you had Geno Smith and Desmond Ritter. So is Jordan Love the second best quarterback they faced or the third best? And Geno Smith lit him up. Let's also note that, right? Desmond Ritter did not. Um, and they have secondary issues. Their secondary is banged up and Desmond Ritter was not able to take advantage of it. Will Jordan Love be able to? And if the Lions fall flat on their face, it's same old Lions again, right? We're just like, oh yeah, here you go. You hype up the Lions and then they fall flat on their face because that has happened throughout our life. So I think the Lions will be little brother to me until they're not. And look, I know that's a mean thing to say. I know that that is something that is that it carries weight. But I will also empathize and say, like, I've been little brother as a fan, right? Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers throughout the early early 2010s were little brother to the San, the St. Louis Cardinals, and it was definitely a interesting or not interesting, but it was like it took the Brewers just being very successful from. 2018 to now, and it's ironic they're playing the Cardinals tonight to potentially clinch the division. And that has changed, right? This last five years, the Brewers have been so much more successful than the St. Louis Cardinals. And because of that, they've kind of worked their way out of Little Brother. They're not Little Brothers to the Cardinals anymore. There's no way Cardinals fans can say that because they're on even footing because the Brewers have been successful while the Cardinals haven't. So if the next five years, the Green Bay Packers, you know, hit a down patch and the Green Bay Packers are missing the playoffs and the Lions are the team of the NFC North, then yeah, we, this little brother conversation is dead. But until then, the Lions are still the Lions and it'll be a very tough game. I'm not discounting that, but it's more the culture of this team and the culture of this rivalry. And that's where we're still at little brother status with the Detroit Lions. By the way, I'll get out ahead of this. I had no idea my voice would be this terrible. <laughs> like, I thought that the yelling and the screaming on Sunday, I, I cured it yesterday, but uh, it apparently I didn't. So I apologize uh, ahead of time for the kind of the gravely, gravely voice here today. Let's get into, let's go back. Let's take a step back to the Packer Saints game and and some of the lessons that we learned from week three and and everything that that happened in that game the Green Bay Packers have a resilience about them that they lacked in the past right they came back from 17 down something that they hadn't done since the 2018 year where they beat the Bears with being down three scores in the fourth quarter Weirdly enough, Brett Favre in his first game where he came in for Don Mikowski, he was also down, uh, he was down 17 to three and came back and won that football game. It's very odd, kooky, and it was about the same same time of year, right? I think it, the dates are like two days apart. It's crazy. 
But the fact that the Packers were able to keep their focus, never really gave up, and just kept playing football. And I think Jaden Reed was like, yeah, we just kept chopping wood. Like, that that hasn't been the Packers the last couple of years. When the Packers have trailed by multiple scores, they've turtled. So here's the big question on that. Is that a Malafleur thing or is that an Aaron Rodgers thing? Because, I, I mean, we're going to have to see if this happens again. And if the Packers come back from being down like 14 sometime this year, if it happens again where they're able to come back, I'm starting to believe it's an Aaron Rodgers thing and not a LaFleur thing. And that LaFleur, you know, kind of just stuck with his guns and was trying to do what he wanted to do to come back. And yet Aaron Rodgers was hero balling. I think that is a huge outstanding question about the season is that did we paint this negative picture about Matt LaFleur and his lack of resilience and the lack of, you know, the punch in the mouth mentality where they're like, oh, the Packers get punched in the mouth. They don't, they don't ever get back up. Was that, was that Rodgers based and not actually LaFleur based? I think that to me is a fascinating thing to keep an eye on the rest of the year. But yeah, this is very, this is a very gutty win. And I think what this win does for you is you never feel like you're out of a game. And I don't want the Packers to be down 17 points every game they play. But I, I think that there is an internal belief that they can win every game, even if they're trailing. And that, you can't put a price on that. That's, some teams have that, some teams don't, right? Some teams are much better when they play from ahead and they're not able to really come back. I would argue Atlanta, it, which is shocking, they won that game you know, it, last week or two weeks ago. They're a team like that. And, you know, you saw it against Detroit where Detroit was able to shut down their running attack and they had to pass and Desmond Ritter couldn't and they only scored three points. And that's that's really what I was hoping the Packers were able to do, but they weren't because they've had their issues against run defense. And we don't need to litigate that right now. But I, I think that this Green Bay team, you know, has, has immediately learned how to come back. And that's something that, again, young teams, it sometimes takes a long time to learn that. And I, I, we, I know it's, you know, baseball, football, but like that was a Brewer issue early on in the season where they had a young team and their team had no idea how to come back and they'd get down early and they'd be like, oh, fuck, we're, we're done. And then as the year went on, as they added more veterans, they started to, they started to figure that out a little bit more. And so the Packers getting that, you know, early on is huge for the rest of the season. Rashawn Gary is a complete stud. I, I have no idea why Rashawn Gary hasn't been paid yet. Uh, I think I, there's some agency thing there. I, I promise you, I, I think that he, you know, is more, you know, in tune to his money. And I think it's less agent based. And I think Gary's more involved and that's not a problem, but I, I think that's why maybe there's a holdup. Um, I, I would definitely like to hear from him. I hope that they ask him, you know, an update here on Wednesday or maybe even Tuesday when they have availability with the players, because I would love to hear more on that. Uh, Gary's just an absolute game wrecker. Uh, it's going to be awesome to watch him against that Lions offensive line that's one of the best in football uh, with Panay Sewell, with Taylor Decker, and watching if Rashawn Gary can beat those guys. Uh, because that, to me, is is going to be one of the premier matchups of Packers-Lions is how does the Packer pass rush, which has been really good this year, do against a, the, one of the best offensive lines in football. I, I mean, that is a massive test for that front seven. And if they're able to graduate from that and pass that test, then we're talking about probably one of the best units that the Green Bay Packers have. The Packers cornerback depth is a bit of a concern. 
Uh, you know, losing Val- uh, Valentine, not Valentine, to a biceps injury. He didn't tear his biceps, which is great. I mean, usually when you hear biceps injuries, that's usually out for the season because the bicep tore. Um, I don't know if we're going to see Valentine in on Thursday. Hopefully Jair's back. Um, that would be great. But yeah, if you don't have Jair and you don't have Valentine, that means Corey Valentine starting with Rasul Douglas against Amra St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and a very dynamic Lions offense that can put points on you. And that would be a major concern for the Green Bay Packers. And I, I don't think there's time to bring in another corner. But I, I do think that unless Eric Stokes is ready, you know, after the pop, which he can graduate from after week four, they they might need to look in, and find a veteran corner and see if they can add some depth to that team because, man, it's lacking right now. Um, it's not good. And and that would be, that's something to pay attention to. Um, they, they didn't have much corner depth as is. Uh, they were only carrying four and it's kind of showing right now. I do wonder, given the fact he's playing so well, um, would they try to put Darnell Savage in that slot corner position? And I, Keyshawn Nixon's too small to be a boundary corner, right? Like, I don't think Keyshawn Nixon can play that boundary corner life, but do you do you try to do something with Savage and Savage is more of a cornerback next week? I, I just wonder, would you fuck that up? Because he's playing all right. Like, that's another huge lesson is like, Darnell Savage continues to make plays. Like that special teams tackle he had uh, after the Packers had just, you know, got, I think it was a 17 to 11 at that point. So the Packers had just sort of got that and they, you know, they need good field position. And Savage runs down like a bat out of hell and absolutely destroys uh, Rashid Shahid. And, and that's something that we're seeing more of Savage. Savage is playing much more aggressively and not just not thinking. And I, I think he's playing great right now. Uh, another defensive lesson before we move on to the offense, Devondre's cat, Devondre Campbell's absence will test this team. Uh, Devondre Campbell, it seems like his ankle injury re-aggravated. It was the one from preseason. Sounds like he's going to miss some time. I would imagine that the Packers don't have Campbell for this game, especially, and probably not the Raiders game. And then we'll see after the bye. Um, that's, that's not great. Uh, Isaiah McDuffie, there he shows some flashes, but uh, McDuffie and Walker is it that was where the Packers got into some trouble last year. And when the Packers defense turned itself around, is when Campbell came back. So it could be first to 30 uh, on, th- on Thursday night, and Jameer Gibbs could have a breakout game. I hope that's not the case, but yeah, it, that's a big test for this team to not have Campbell and sort of your defensive leader. He hasn't exactly played well this year but he does a lot on the field that i think kind of goes unnoticed offensively for the green bay packers in terms of lessons learned rasheed walker might be the real deal rasheed walker has not allowed anything on the outside uh he's been a complete stalwart for the green bay packers for the two games that he's filled in for david bakhtiari this was a seventh round pick basically was going to be a top pick stayed in college a year year too long didn't really have a great senior year, and it and it seems like Brian Gutekus might have done it again. Uh, Brad Spillinger, Pro Football Focus, had this where he's had pass grades of seventy five plus the last two games, and no pressures allowed in true pressure in true pass sets. The only tackle with twenty five plus TPS snaps and no pressures allowed. That is awesome, um, and. He, someone at, someone like replied to Brad and was like, how do they keep doing this? And Spillinger, Spillenberger, sorry, added, 
Their OT4 is better than some team's starters in a league where tackle depth is more of a myth than a thing. Um, And that is... That's something else. And Caleb Jones seems like he's the next guy that's in the lab, right? Caleb Jones is massive. He is 6'9, 370. Like, that's like the big show, right? And he's in the lab right now, too. Uh, Green Bay, there's a lot of things they do wrong. They know how to mold tackles. And, you know, obviously they didn't know David Bakhtiari was going to get hurt, but I, I just wonder. Would they have not paid David Bakhtiari if if they knew that they could just keep doing this and keep sort of developing new tackles and new tackles? I, I still think they would have paid him. I, I even Bakhtiari Hall of Famer, and they really only give Hall of Famers third contracts. And I know that contract sticks out like a sore thumb, but you have to remember that Bakhtiari was pretty damn good in 2020, and then he tears his ACL. Right, so that's like. You know, it's just kind of how it goes. And that happens sometimes with big contracts. And I'm frustrated too about Bakhtiari, but still we can't we can't necessarily just immediately look to that. Uh, I, I will say I'm a little more negative on the offense. I know they won, but I mean, there were some things that we have to like think about macroly. Like Patrick Taylor and Emmanuel Wilson need more touches. Um, and maybe that's not negative. That's more just like, hey, like, let's think about this. Like, A.J. Dillon's not a guy right now, okay? He's not even just a guy. He's not a Jag. He is nothing. And I, I, I maybe, as the year goes on, as A.J. Dillon takes some time off, maybe he realizes, like, what he's doing wrong. I think the bye week will be crucial for him. But I, I think we need to see what Patrick Taylor and Manny Wilson are all about if Aaron Jones doesn't come back. I think Aaron Jones will be back for Thursday. I feel pretty confident in that. But if he's not... That it needs to be, there needs to be more Patrick Taylor. There needs to be more Emmanuel Wilson. It needs to be a running back shared room and not just A.J. Dillon with a sprinkling of Taylor and Wilson. Those guys need more carries because it's it's just not working for Dillon. And after Matt LaFleur said, hey, we're going to scheme it up for Dillon. We're going to make sure that Dillon has the ability to run football. It's not there. And there were a couple moments where if Dylan would have saw where he could bounce out, he could have got 20 or 30 yards. And he's just, he, the vision is just not there right now. And I don't know if that is fixable or not, but we'll see. Uh, Jordan Love's deep balls have some question marks. Um, I, I do not know if that is Jordan Love just getting used to his receivers. I don't know if that's Jordan Love being a little nervous. I don't know if that is just who Jordan Love is. Um, I, I like the shot taking that Green Bay is doing. It's just, it seems like Love's deep ball is not, it's not exactly where it needs to be. And that's okay. Um, I think that that is fine, right? And these guys are all sort of adjusting to Jordan Love. And you could say that the inverse, right? Like Luke Musgrave, right? Uh, Love had him up to see him early in this game. And it seemed like Musgrave, you know, could come down with it. And he's running like a baby deer. Like his route running is weird and not great. So maybe, you know, in November, we see them hit that play. And Jaden Reed, you know, had had some deep ball opportunities. He caught the biggest one, right? The, and we talked about how Jaden Reed had drops and was able to make that grab. Romeo Dobbs had one where Love just put it in a bucket. And there were a couple others that didn't really go. And maybe this is just, 
a symptom of a young quarterback and a, and a newer wide receiver core versus like what we've seen in the past with Devontae and Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson and just everything else where we're so accustomed to it working. And maybe this is just a symptom of a new quarterback and we just need to kind of relax a little bit. So I'm arguing a little bit with myself on the lessons learned, but I, I think that's at least worth pointing out. So it's a good week three. I'm happy the Packers won. I'm really excited for this Lions game, and it should be a should be an absolute thriller in in, in Green Bay, and probably make me want to pull my pull my hair out because you know you know how that goes. Um, and I I imagine this one's going to be another close one between the Packers and Lions. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers are playing the St. Louis Cardinals this week. And we'll talk about that series a little bit here, but we'll, I want to talk about the potential playoff opponents that the Milwaukee Brewers could face, assuming that they win the division. It would take a monumental collapse for the Brewers to not win the division. They would have to lose out, basically, to a Cardinals team that can't wait to get to Cancun and then a Cubs team that's fighting for their playoff life. If the Brewers get swept by the Cardinals, I will tell you that there will be massive panic by myself and everybody else that is a Brewers fan. No no question about it. Absolutely not. You know, that just, that can't, <laughs> that can't happen. Uh, it, it just cannot. Uh, but, so the Brewers just have to sort of get it done and try to bring it home today or the next day and not give the Cubs, and the Cubs have to win too. I think that's part of it. I think if the Cubs lose, the Brewers where it would be able to clinch. So there is that opportunity that if the Cubs were to lose, that the Brewers would essentially win the division. So there is a weird way. Baseball is a dumb sport and that has happened, but the Cubs and Diamondbacks are right now tied for that second second wild card. The Diamondbacks do have the tiebreaker. The Cubs weirdly do not have a tiebreaker against anybody. Uh, that is very interesting. The Miami Marlins are one game back and then the Cincinnati Reds are two and a half games back and the Giants are four and a half. Again, the Giants would need an absolute miracle to find themselves back in. The San Diego Padres, after losing last night, are probably done. Uh, that's probably it. It's probably time to console the Padres. Josh Hader talking about why he wouldn't pitch, uh, why he wouldn't get four outs for the Padres uh, was fascinating. Josh Hader basically quit on his team. Um, and the quotes are are stunning. Uh, I'll, I'll read them. I, I have to. I'm sorry. I, I know we were going to talk about uh, Brewers and the strengths against their teams, but I have to give you this Josh Hader quote. This from the San Diego Padres beat writer, AJ Casavell. Josh Hader asked his thinking behind not making himself available for four outs. It's the situation that we're at. Asked to clarify. He said, are we in the playoff race? Technically, yes, but it would take a miracle. To which he said, you guys want me to do everything. <laughs> oh my God. Josh Hader was awful. Like, can anyone also realize how much of a me first guy this guy was? Devin Williams got four outs in fucking May. Like, he did that against the Cardinals in May, okay? Like, this guy is, it's late September, the season's almost over, you're fighting for your playoff life, and Josh Hader quits on your ass. Look, Josh Hader was, uh, that trade was poorly executed, but it's the best thing that happened to the Brewers. I I, I, I think I believe that. I, that might be a crazy thing to say, but... It's, it's pretty apparent that Josh Hader was not necessarily a me first or a team first guy. It was the, you know, he, he was definitely a me first guy. 
and there's no I in team, but apparently it is to Josh Hader. Josh Hader apparently spells it that way. All right, sorry, I had to, I had to get that in. Uh, it was it was there. Like we've talked so much about the Josh Hader trade throughout the years. So the Brewers can play all these teams. So what what are things that excite us about these teams, and what are things that you know maybe maybe make us nervous? The Arizona Diamondbacks. I think what makes you excited to play them is their bullpen and their lack of pitching depth. Yes, Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly are very good pitchers. They are excellent pitchers, but they've both had trouble on the road. Merrill Kelly had trouble, you know, yesterday. Merrill Kelly has a 410 ERA on the road. Zach Allen's above four on the road. The reason why Zach Allen has not won or will not win the Cy Young is because he's struggled on the road. And even though Gallon and Kelly have pitched well at American Family Field. It's still the sort of the nature of the beast. It's still sort of the sum of all parts here that I think that they can still handle Kelly and Gallon. That is part of what worries me about the Diamondbacks. But I think what excites me is if you get into that bullpen, they do not have a good bullpen. The Diamondbacks bullpen is pretty bad. And we saw it last night, yesterday afternoon against the Yankees. They just do not have a bullpen to me that can lead to a long playoff run. And you need you need bullpen support in the playoffs. That is such a vital part of the playoffs. The Diamondbacks have a 435 ERA. It's 19th in all of baseball for the entire year. That is pretty bad. They are among the Boston Red Sox, the Miami Marlins, interesting enough, the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Mets, the Texas Rangers, also interesting, where it's like most of those teams are not in the playoffs. And teams like the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Astros, the Phillies are all in the top 10. And most of these playoff games become bullpen games at, at some point, and you have to get, have your bullpen get out. Scallon and Kelly are likely not going complete against the Brewers in both those games. And it's also a different atmosphere, right? Like it is a different atmosphere for those guys. And they'll be pitching in front of sellout crowds. They were not pitching in front of sellout crowds, you know, in that in that sort of environment. The Dimebacks have not been in the postseason since 2017. I don't know if Kelly played in that. I, I'm going to look right now. See, no, there was no, there's nothing from uh, Mr. Kelly in that. Uh, Zach Greinke, Robbie Ray were your starting pitchers in that. Uh, that's three game series that they were able to lose, that they did not make it out of the first round. But like, so they have no playoff experience either. So I, I think the thing I worry about with the Diamondbacks is they have a ton of talent and I think they're well-managed. And you know, Corbin Carroll is an absolute stud. He is a already a star in the making and they just have an offense that is really tough to deal with and they they just keep coming at you and that that worries me um that's that to me is the chief concern and the brewers have not exactly done well against arizona this year they lost both series they were two and four against them um and so i think while i can talk my way into being like all right yeah there is a way you beat gallon and kelly it's, it's not great. And you would have to then deal with, you know, I guess the one thing is, is if you do beat, beat one of them, you get into a house money zone with game three because they have no pitching after that. They are, it's Kelly and Gallon and everybody else. Is, would Zach Davies be their third starter in a pivotal game three? 
I mean, and then that's the other question. Would the Diamondbacks actually not pitch Gallon or Kelly? Because if they had a game three, they, they have nothing left. So that's a very interesting sort of thing about that Diamondbacks team. Uh, but I also think the chance of Arizona being the team that the, the Brewers see is highly unlikely because they play the White Sox and then they play the Astros. Now the Astros are tough um, and the Astros are fighting for their playoff life, but you have the White Sox there. You could potentially sweep that series. Talk about a team that is, again, ready to ready to call it. Uh, look no further than the Chicago White Sox. Uh, they, are, they are ready to just be done with this season. And again, just call it. There's going to be like nobody there. And all the Diamondbacks have to do is just take care of business. So we'll see if they are able to. With the Chicago Cubs, I think the thing that excites me about playing the Cubs is David Ross. David Ross is a bad manager. Uh, and I think Craig Council will absolutely own him in chess matches. Ross manages way too much with his hardened balls and not enough with his head. And I think that the Brewers will have a significant advantage with old Rossi out there. And I think that that, that is what I think the Brewers can do and win that. I also have questions about that Cubs bullpen. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it's average. It's 14th. Uh, but they've had moments of greatness. They've also had moments where they've completely shit the bed. Um, I, I think the Cubs starting pitching is a little shakier than, than it's been in, in the past, right? Justin Steele all of a sudden can't pitch. His last two games have been rough. I was talking to my buddy Fant, who's a Cubs fan. It's like, yeah, Steele's, Steele's pitched the most he has in his entire career. So you wonder if that arm's dead for Justin Steele. And that's a huge issue for the Cubs. Like that guy, to me, was my Cy Young Award winner for until August. And then I think Blake Snell now has it. But like... I, I just look at that and I I wonder, you know, are the Cubs a wounded duck? Like are the Cubs, to me, out of the three teams, the Cubs have probably played the worst in September, right? If you I think, I don't know, I'd have to fact check myself on that, but like, I just think the Cubs would be coming in unless they win all the games right now. Um, I, I personally do not see a, a scenario where I'm like, yeah, I look at that Chicago Cubs team and I'm like, okay, they are they're playing. So let's say last 20, which is basically September, the Cubs are 10 and 10. They're 16 and 14 in the last 30. So not terrible. I mean, Dimebacks are kind of right there. The Marlins are also right there. The Reds are actually 14 and 16 in their last 30, 10 and 10. So the Reds are kind of the one that are are limping behind. I think the thing that scares me with the Cubs is two things. One, it's the the fact that there are going to be a ton of Cubs fans there, that there are going to be a massive amount of Cubs fans, and there's nothing you can do to control it because the Cubs just have a bigger footprint, right? You have Cubs fans that live here. You have Cubs fans that can make the trip easily. It will be a 50-50 crowd. It, I would hope that it would drown out with Brewer fans, but I, I can't guarantee that. And that's not a knock on Brewer fans, and I'd have to do a lot of PR for that, but it's, it's not on Brewer fans. It's the fact the Cubs have just a massive fan base. They are extremely public. So that would be that'd be an issue. The other issue is the fact that the Brewers and Cubs have played really good baseball against each other. They're five and five. All the games are close. Every game you're like, the Brewers could win, the Cubs could win. And so I wonder if these teams are very equal in nature. And would that, you know, lead to the Brewers, you know, a, every game a fight and basically you're done after those three games and you have to now play the Dodgers and you pretty much are out of gas. I, I worry about that a little bit. So 
That I know that contradicts the first part, but I, I just think that's part of the problem here with the Brewers and Cubs rivalry is the fact that it is so close between the two teams. As for the Cubs for the last few games of the year, they play the Brewers this weekend. And again, the Brewers have the clinch. It's going to be a weird, like, what do they do? Do they let the Cubs just in? Do they not? They play pretty hard to keep the Cubs out. They play the Braves uh, today, this weekend. The series starts today. The Braves still need to play baseball because they're trying to make sure that they keep home field advantage. So it's not like Atlanta is just immediately laying down. The game's on TBS, by the way, tonight, if you want to watch that coinciding with the Brewers. But yes, and Justin Steele's on the mound tonight. Huge, huge sort of moment for Steele, right? Can Steele get it done? And it's lined up that Steele would pitch that last game of the year at this point. So another thing to consider looking at this you wonder if then Steele is not going game one. That would mean that Steele is probably going to pitch game game three. And that would mean Hendricks for game one, probably, given that he's pitching Friday. Also, the Brewers playing the Cubs six straight times doesn't exactly make you feel good. Moving on to the Miami Marlins, I think what would excite me about the Marlins is they, they just don't have, to me, the talent that the Cubs and the Diamondbacks do. The Brewers... One three out of four against the Marlins at home. The Marlins aren't exactly the best home, the road team. They've struggled away from Miami. They've been really good at home, but their their road record is not is not something to write home about. The Miami Marlins on the road this year are thirty five and forty. Uh, so they're not very good against teams that are above five hundred. The Marlins are thirty six and forty six. The Marlins beat up bad teams, right? They're 45 and 29 against teams under 500. So, and they're 32 and 13 in one run games. So they're a one run merchant, just like the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers in one run games this year are 27 and 18. But the Marlins, you could argue, are more sort of fugazi than some of the other teams there. And I just don't know if they have the talent to compete with the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, the Philly, everybody else. Like, I just. I feel like they're on another level. Um, the thing that scares me is they can really, they're power hitters. They have a lot of power in that lineup with Berger, with Soler, with Brian De La Cruz. Like they can they can definitely win games with their power, especially in the postseason. Like where you just, sometimes all you need is two home runs and you get it done. Uh, they also have a ton of lefties. They have six lefties in their, in their overall pitching staff. That's crazy. Now, Brewers have been better against lefties with the additions of Carlos Santana and Mark Canna, but that at least makes you a little bit nervous, right? And that the Marlins can sort of lefty you to death. They did it on Saturday. The Brewers were able to have one beginning against that, but that was it. Um, and so that's something to at least consider here as the Marlins are fighting to get into the playoffs. And they today start against the New York Mets. The Mets are playing good baseball. But it's, you know, they have nothing to play for. And then they go to Pittsburgh. So what's interesting about the, Mar the Marlins is they're away from home. And that's been their sort of sanctuary. And we just noted that. So can they win? Can they go two and four, four and two or, or five and one to finish this off to get in the playoffs? We'll, we'll have to see. And then lastly, the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds need a miracle. Um, the Reds are, are fighting for their playoff life. Um, and, but I would say in terms of excitement, it's just... They are the worst team out of the bunch. They're young. They're a year away. Um, I, I don't think that they would be ready for this moment. I think Council versus David Bell would be a massive advantage. The Brewers have played so well 
against the Reds this season. They're 10-3 for the season. So I, I think all of that combined really makes me think that they can they can pretty much overpower that Cincinnati team. They've And, and I think also the Reds are just abysmal in terms of their pitching staff, especially their bullpen. Uh, Hunter Green's been great. I will say that. He's really sort of rounding in the form. And I think if you're a Reds fan, that's kind of what you can go off of. But it's also the frustration that you didn't do more to get a starting pitcher. And I, I don't think the Reds are going to be a part of this, so I won't spend too much time on it. Again, would need an absolute miracle for that to happen. They play the Guardians for two. They also don't play three games this week. So they play two against the Guardians. And then they play, I forget who they finished with here. Let's see here. They play Guardians today and tomorrow. They have Thursday off and then they go to St. Louis. Again, St. Louis, not really low. Oh, so Wainwright is going to pitch another start. That's interesting. Uh, he's on the mound for Friday. But it's like you have you know basically a very young pitching staff going and Hunter Green is scheduled to go that last game of the year. So again, you wouldn't have your premier pitcher. You wouldn't have your quote-unquote ace for game number one. So yeah, the Reds would need a lot of help. And we'll see if they're able to get it. But yeah, I'm I'm dubious of that. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see. But I, I think if I were to rank it, you know, I think, and that's been a trendy thing, I would probably say Reds, uh, definitely Reds, Marlins, Cubs, Diamondbacks, I think that would be the order. Um, and I, I just, I think the Brewers would get the Cubs at the right time. And I, I worry about the six straight games, but I, I do think that they could still, I still read play the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, but we'll have to see. Brewers and Diamondbacks have had some classics, right, in the playoffs in 2011. So if we're repeating 2011 without losing to the Cardinals and, and getting to the World Series, I could, I could potentially get down with that. All right, let's wrap up the show. Thank you for dealing with my voice. I apologize. Uh, I, if I would have known, maybe I wouldn't have done a podcast today. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Damian Lillard story a little bit uh, from the Bucks view, but then more from the Eastern Conference view. So where we are with Damian Lillard, it seems like the Heat are getting froze out. It seems like the, the Trailblazers, whatever deal the Heat have, they do not want to do it with the Miami Heat. They do not want to cave to Damian Lillard. Now, I have a lot of questions about that. Number one is that because the things have gone so sour with Lillard and the Blazers that they don't want to give in. Is it pressure from the NBA and Adam Silver to be like, hey, this guy was adamant that he wanted to go to Miami. We can't keep giving the players what they want. So you have to put your foot down. No matter what deal the Heat have, you have to reject it. I mean, that's very tinfoil hat, but it makes you wonder, right? And I just also don't understand how they haven't been able to find a third team. And maybe people don't want to help the Miami Heat, which I understand, right? Miami Heat have been very successful as a, a basketball franchise. They made two finals in the last three, four years. So I could see a scenario where no one wants to help the Heat, which I, I get that. I, I totally understand where... Doing a three-team deal is hard. As you involve more teams, more players, more contracts, it gets very complicated. So then in terms of other teams that are lurking, I guess the Celtics were a betting favorite to land Lillard. I have zero idea how they would do that. I don't think you can trade Jalen Brown until December. Uh, and I think Jalen Brown would have to be in that deal, right? I can't, unless you're really just going to go way over the luxury tax to get Lillard. But you also can't trade Porzingis, who you signed, and... I just don't know how the dollars and cents work for Boston. Chicago's apparently involved, 
And I look at that and I just see, okay, the Bulls are trying to be not necessarily in mediocrity, but just a step up. I also kind of love it from the Bulls perspective. I will say because of Chicago and how down the city is about the Bears, the White Sox, the Cubs, obviously there, there's a chance there, right? But the Bulls could kind of grab it by grab sort of the city of Chicago by the dick a little bit here. And I know it's like always going to be Bears first, but if you say, all right, we could sell Damian Lillard and, Dam- and DeMar DeRozan to our fan base and then also have Connor Bedard at, for the Blackhawks. Like all of a sudden, like winter in Chicago is a little different and feels a little different. And I would argue that Zach Levine is a perfect sort of trade piece for this. And it, to me, it's the most attractive trade piece out of all of them. And Toronto's been mentioned apparently that there is a master plan here to get Lillard and Giannis into Toronto with Masai's connection. Masai is basically Danny Ainge, just, you know, a new new Danny Ainge where they're always involved, but they never actually, they never actually finish, right? Um, so that's just something to keep in mind there. And then as for the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks could trade Drew Holiday uh, and Grayson Allen and the 2029 first round pick. That is a deal that works. Um, my guy Shafty, who I've mentioned before on this podcast, does a lot of great work with the trade machine. And I probably should have started with the Bucks. We're Bucks first podcast. I apologize. But I wanted to get us to that point, right? And Drew Holiday would provide an interesting angle for the Blazers, right? Drew Holiday would essentially give the Blazers a veteran leader, a guy that's well-respected in the community, a guy that can put Scoot Henderson under his wing. The combination of Drew and Scoot, I think you could argue might be a potential playoff team and answer Anthony Simons for that matter. Like I, I could I could make a case that Portland would at least be in the playing conversation with that team. Now, I don't know if that's enough, right? Um, is that going to be enough? I think it's better than Tyler Hero. I think it's better than anything what Boston presents. I think Zach Levine in general is a little bit better than Drew Holiday if we're just talking about trade piece. Um, and I also would say that Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, I know Scotty Barnes is apparently off the table, but I, I don't believe that. I would say those guys are probably better. OG has some injury issues, but again, it's a young team. Like you get younger with those guys. Like to me, the Blazers are probably looking for a Kevin Durant style deal. Now, will they get it? I don't know. Um, but I think seeing what the Nets were able to do with the Cal Bridges and Cam John and Cam Johnson, that brings a, a ton of attention. Brooklyn apparently is involved too. And I think with Brooklyn, it's just do you want Ben Simmons? Do you want to take a shot and see if you can revive Ben Simmons' career? Do you also want to look at all the draft picks that they have? And they have an amazing amount of draft capital now. Um, is that you know on the table? It seems like they don't want to trade Dame to the Western Conference. So I think the Bucks package stacks up pretty nicely. I, I think that they are probably third, if I, if I really had to be honest with myself. That is if Scotty Barnes is included. I know Scotty Barnes is off the table. So I guess if it's OG and a bunch of pieces... I still probably like the Bucks package a little bit better. And, and maybe that's biased, but I think Levine is the guy who I would look at and be like, yeah, 
that that to me is harder to compete than Drew Holiday, given the fact that Holiday, even though he said to Jim Olszewski, apparently, I haven't read the article yet, I saw the headline, that he's not ready to retire just yet. He'd like to finish his career in Milwaukee. Uh, and there was a big article out. So I'll read through that. I'll see if there's any interesting nuggets, you know, in terms of the Holiday onto the Kubo relationship, which people have kind of been hinting at that it might not be as solid as maybe, maybe we're led to believe. So it'll just be interesting to see how this all transpires. But it really seems like Dame Lillard's not going to the Heat, and that's awesome. And I love that. Uh, the Heat are now getting out like, oh, we could be a championship contender without Dame Lillard. No, you fucking can't. Like, you're not very good. And I thought about it with the Bucks, and I'm like, I was pretty against Dame Lillard. I said it back when the Bucks lost in, against Miami. If you go back and listen to me in April, and I said, I don't want Dame Lillard. He's too expensive. He's going to make like $60 million when he's 38. I guess how I would I would say this is if you're saving, if you're making sure that Giannis is staying in Milwaukee and making sure that they have what it takes to win a championship, I'm, I'm for that. I think if it's that you believe that Damian Lillard can do more in terms of your backcourt than Drew Holiday and that you need to solve for the lack of clutch shooting you had on the perimeter and you have two of the best closers in basketball with Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton on your team, I can get down with that. I can also get down with kind of fuck them picks mentality because you're at a scenario where you kind of need to give your your championship player what he wants and maybe it's a little more dire than we're all making it out to be, that maybe the national media is right. Maybe Wendy, who's been saying Giannis is going to leave, is right, which I, I don't want to believe. I don't think it's right. Um, and credit to me for being respectful for Wendy, because I, I motherfucked Wendy on, on some text threads and I didn't hear. So credit, credit to me there uh, for not doing that. Um, and... Yeah, uh, and then maybe you just have to go all out and hope Damian Lillard retires and hopefully you don't have to pay that money. And that would, I guess, be be the motivation, right? Uh, that he gets his title and he's like, all right, I'm done. And then then you don't have to worry about that $64 million. I actually don't know how that works in NBA. Like, is it guaranteed even if you retire? Like, do you work on a settlement? Like, how does that, how does that all transpire? <laughs> I will... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that'll that'll do it for today's show. Sorry, I got a I got a great email. <laughs> I, I was finishing up. Uh, my man, man Eric is trying to take second place in a fantasy league at, for baseball, and it's just falling on him like a house of cards. Uh, and it's it's fun to watch. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, you know, it's just just what you guys see. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. Um, hopefully, talking about a Brewers division win. We'll see. Um, and we'll also do the betting preview for Packers Lions. So that'll be tomorrow's show. It'll be a little shorter show tomorrow because we're doing five shows this week, which is a lot, um, more than I'd like to do. So tomorrow, I promise you, will be a short one uh, for the people. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you. Bye.